Welcome to another edition of the Thunder Underground Podcast. My name is Trent. My name is Jason. And this week we've got a special, we've got a full set down, almost an hour interview with Dave Cantrell. Yes, uh, this was a good one. Yeah, Dave is a a veteran of the, the Tulsa music scene and Colorado Springs and Denver music scenes. That's right. Uh, we saw him a few times uh, in, in Tulsa. So uh, a couple different bands in the nineties. Yeah, in the nineties yeah. and the you know Asylum, Bozak. Uh, so this was uh, great to finally get to sit down and talk with him. Yeah, I've got all kinds of stuff. We kind of go through his his career in music, which has been several different bands here in in Oklahoma and Colorado, and then we talk and we even get into talk about a documentary that he's a part of which we're really looking forward to that I assume should be out sometime in 2016. It's a profile of the Tulsa, the Tulsa punk scene, which, you know, he goes into detail about that. So oil capital underground. And I think he said it covers from, uh, the seventies to about the mid nineties. I think he said, right. Uh, Just, um, uh, the punk scene, uh, you know, with a little bit, like he said, uh, there's little things that go off here and there, but mainly uh, the punk uh, stuff going on in Tulsa, and I can't wait to see it. Uh, it sounds totally interesting and uh, right up our alley. Yeah, they had a couple teaser trailers online that we saw on there. It looks like it's going to, I'm a big fan of documentaries no matter what, but especially when it comes to music. And yeah, when it no comes kidding. to music of bands that, you know, we've seen on several of these bands on, you know, repeated times, this is definitely something I'm looking forward to. But before we get into that, we wanted to play a song for you. And this is a song that, according to Dave, has never been never been released. So I guess you could say we're first time some people can hear this is right here. And uh, it's a song that was a Cobra Kai song, which was one of his bands in Colorado. But he actually worked on it this year and Worked it out, and I guess he said it was an acoustic song, and he worked it out electric, and it has three of the the four guys from Cobra Kai on it. So it's close to a Cobra Kai song, right? Yeah, and it came out great. It's called Whiskey Makes Me Evil. Check this out. Whiskey 
All right, Whiskey Makes Me Evil by Three-Fourths of Cobra Kai. That song was just recorded this year, a few months ago. First time it's it's being heard, so we're glad that Dave gave us the, the honor and privilege of playing that here because I really dig that. That's a, a really cool song. Yeah, thanks to that. Definitely thanks to Dave for letting us play that. And, uh, you know, on that note, let's just get right into the interview. ago where you had said that you were trying to do enough guest appearances to make constitute a full set was yeah. that a joke or is that something you really well it was like how many how yeah. far have you got into it <laughs> it was kind of a joke because it just seemed the way that was things were going i noticed that i was all oh you want to do a song okay cool you know but i couldn't seem to put anything together to get a whole set so i was just here and there a couple songs up in colorado a couple songs here then i thought i had a few more songs lined up but that fell through, so... Yeah, I was in jest, but I was actually going to kind of see if it could happen without being too... Without, you know, just forcing myself on people's stages. Right. <laughs> like I would have done 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> was that one of your things you were notorious for? <laughs> uh, probably, you know. We've been doing this documentary, and I get kind of embarrassing how many... Getting these old videos and then finding that I've forced my way onto the stage of somebody by the end of the set. I'm like... I should have just learned to stay back in the shadows a little more or something. Waited till my band was playing, you know. <laughs> well, speaking of your bands, was Asylum was your first? Was that your first band? Uh, yeah, ever? yeah, yeah. And high school boom. through college. So. Okay. And like, what? I mean, I guess if you want to start even before that, what really got you into to music to begin with? Well, I my brother, he's ten years older than I am, and. He was just you kind of long-haired, you know, 70s-looking dude, yeah. you know, and he loved music, and he had an electric guitar, and then one time, you know, he was about 16 or 17, so he and some friends played a little jam in our backyard, and that just blew me away. I thought it was the coolest thing. So I grew up with Stacy Lane, the guitarist from Severmind, and, you know, I got him to come over once, and... And we decided to do something, you know, about 1985 when we were in high school. So we talked Derek, the drummer from Severmind, into being the drummer. He was the first drummer. We had a lot of drummers. We were like Spinal Taps. So, <laughs> so it just built off that, you know. And then we did that through uh, almost to the end of '91. And then, uh, then he and then he and I joined the new version of the Bunnies of Doom at the time. So okay. Because there was an earlier version. We Asylum had actually played with the earlier version that was more, you know, hardcore, hardcore punk rock. And so me and Stace joined up with their rhythm, original rhythm section, the drummer and the bass player, and formed a whole new Bunnies of Doom. But it was all new. I mean, we didn't do any Asylum or bunnies, older Bunnies of Doom stuff. So. Was, the, was metal your first kind of love? Yeah, was, yeah. Punk and stuff early on too, or I got into punk mostly because it just seemed like something that was happening on us, around us. You know, I loved all the. You know, I grew up with all the, the hard rock and early '80s metal stuff. So when Asylum formed, we were just when we were learning how to be a band together. We were just playing Zeppelin, Sabbath, and early Aussie covers, Deep Purple, lots of Deep Purple. And uh, in 1987, I saw that there was this bill. It was at Theater of Tulsa. Tulsa Little Theater. It's been called a million things. Yeah. Over off Delaware. Oh, yeah. Right. Playhouse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That whole thing. <laughs> I'd gotten a little zine and saw all these punk bands. Well, the punk bands were playing. I didn't, you know, I just thought it was rock bands, you know. I knew one of the guys was in it, and I knew what punk was, but we got up there and and played, and, you know, we were growing our hair long and had torn jeans, and we're playing, like, Steppenwolf. I mean, we had our own stuff. We were starting to go to thrash because we'd kind of gotten into Metallica, but... Yeah, we were pelted with cans by skinheads and 
<laughs> and so I was like, well, this seems like it's something's going on now because it's like a lot of the metal bands at the time, there was a there was like a circuit back in the day where it was like there was a place called Rockers that was also called Rock Theater. And then there was other bars like before that, but a band would come through and they were all professionals, like a band like Oliver Magnum would come through and play Tuesday through Saturday, three sets a night. So of course most of it was covers. But they'd mix in some of their own stuff. So that, to me, seemed like what the heavy metal thing was. It was a little harder to get to. We weren't 21 yet. And all these punk... There was like, you know, Club Nitro and all these other clubs at the time. Our little basement places or warehouse gigs. And so we just... I basically wanted to book us with anyone that would play and that could draw. You know, and so we... We, you know, we played our first Club Nitro show in 87 and... And would play with thrash bands when thrash was still basically just intermingling with the punk. So that's where I, you know, got into the, you know, got to know a lot of the punk rockers at the time. Cool. So. Right on. Right on. Like I, we had, I'm sure you're aware we had Stacy on. Yeah, yeah. On an earlier episode, and I mentioned to him that whenever we were, you know, teenagers around that early mid '90s, and I just thought, even without hearing the band, I just thought Bunnies of Doom was like the coolest band name I'd ever heard. <laughs> And it just made me really want to see the band. I don't know if I ever did or not, but I know yeah. I ended up buying a CD. I think at Starship or something. <laughs> yeah, we did a we did a couple of CDs and a and a tape. I mean that was that was on the very edge of when you know you really thought something might happen because we were doing the, whatever the heavy alt rock thing at the time. It was kind of metally, but it was fitting in somewhere in with you know stuff that was getting popular at the time, like Rage Against the Machine and Tool and that. Rollins band stuff like that so yeah that was like the next step from Asylum I mean it's hard to compare better or worse but I mean Asylum was kind of like school we grew up together and we all learned together and Terry from Asylum later went on and played with the Pitbulls on crack and a ton of other bands after Asylum and so we just kind of you know it's interwoven but <clears throat> yeah yeah that's how we got to know the other bunnies is from the Asylum playing with bunnies and then you know stacy got to know jason who was the drummer and they started jamming on the side so at one point in 91 asylum's drummer moved away and and uh the other bunnies just kind of split up somehow so they they pulled me in and we just did whatever we did <laughs> what it was it was heavy but it was also funky or noisy or you know it was it was a lot more different influences whereas asylum was pretty much focused asylum was stacy's vision musically I mean, we all went along with it because we liked it, but I wrote the words and he wrote the music. But Bunnies was more four different elements that came from four different backgrounds. So, And, you know, it's like at, at that time, you could have all that stuff coming together because Alternative was coming up, Metal was yeah. still big, and there's a lot of bands doing that, kind of just mixing all up and stuff. Yeah, well, there was like two years there before it got all co-opted and yeah. you started hearing all, you know, <laughs> the watered-down versions, but it seemed really interesting and exciting when all the different stuff and the different bills, you know, and then, you know, once once people switch from listening to, like, say, Nirvana to Bush or, you know, then it's not quite as interesting. <laughs> but, you know, for a couple of years there, it was really cool and you thought, you know, people started coming to shows and... Icon started doing shows, and the, and the cool thing about playing over there was they would have touring bands, <clears throat> you know, nationals that were smaller, underground, but you could get on it. it was great resume builders, and you could really see what was going on around the country. So that was kind of a cool thing. It was a, a very that was a different thing than the '80s altogether. But yeah, yeah, I think um, I'm pretty sure I saw Bunnies doing with the Eclipse back in the day and I, I remember that show I remember that show pretty pretty well for it being a while back and you know uh, did, did you play clips a lot and was uh, I I know the you know Kay was always like a interesting person to deal with or I heard I, I did once but I, it was a very small level so you know yeah well yeah we we played um the the CD version, the one that's on all the CDs, that lineup, uh, that was around the time Eclipse was getting going when it was making the switch from Night to Eclipse. 
And so I think we played that lineup maybe once or twice. And then when we did the uh, reconfigured lineup with a different drummer, <clears throat> excuse me, we did that at least a couple times, I know, yeah. You know, Kay's, yeah, Kay gave us a lot of shows. <laughs> Asylum played at Nitro a lot more, yeah, okay. but I did do a, I did a few there at Eclipse back in the 90s, too. How long did uh, how long did Bunny's Doom go on? Um, well, my version, the version I was in, was early '92 till about '97. Okay. And then, uh, yeah. And were you straight into Bozak after that, or was there a period where something else? Yeah, I did a I did a little solo CD thing. It was leftover Asylum of Bunny's tracks mixed with some uh, spoken word stuff I did with different musicians so including including brian simmons who was in bozak and later went on to do tribe of souls and most recently bad root now he's in a new one uh sons of the dust i think but so i i i kind of had a little have you heard of diffuser yeah so diffuser we got going i became friends with them and they would I had a little mini set worked up with them so if i ever booked a show or somebody gave me an opportunity to get a show i'd say listen guys uh you want to go do this show and you know sing what I have and then you can play the rest of your stuff to fill out whatever however long we need to play. So we wrote a couple of tunes together and you know worked up a couple of covers and played shows like that for a little bit and then and then we put Bozak together. Okay. Was that some of the same guys? <clears throat> uh, no, well uh, Bozak was uh it was Terry Waska who was the bass player in Asylum. And he and I and this drummer Chad Owsley who now plays in Oakland Hombres. Okay. Um, we were playing with this one dude and trying to get something going, and then I was just kind of trying to actually do a solo thing, you know, where they, you know, be like Ozzy and say, here, play my stuff, and then let's build off that, because I, I didn't really feel like starting over from scratch, because it takes so long to get going. And uh, the guitar player dropped out, and I talked to Brian one day, and and he came over, and we and we kind of... We worked up a couple of my old songs, but then we just wrote a set and went from there. So that was like 99 to 2001. We put out a CD in like 2001, and then I moved later that year. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's whenever you opened that COC show, right? Yeah. 2001, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember that pretty well. Yeah, um, I can. Yeah, I can hardly remember that show. I mean, I know what happened. Right. But I don't know. It's like it was a really small crowd. Yeah. It was, yeah. Oh, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was super small. You know, I was like, I was really hoping for, you know, we played. There was, I think, that was a three band tour package anyway. So we, they, I mean, we were cool. We were glad to play it, but we were stuck way early. You know, right. <laughs> people are still parking while we're playing. You <laughs> right. know, but that happens. But that was cool. Yeah. So it was right after that. Then you moved to. Colorado Springs. Yeah, I moved uh, there in August of 2001. Okay. And did you, how long did it take before you started the band once you got there? Well, it was, um, we went up there because we wanted to open a bar and, and book clubs, you know, book shows and stuff. And my brother lived up there. So we kind of want, wanted to change a pace. And so I went up there and my wife, or she was now she's my wife, but she was bartending a lot, and so I ended up working the door at a lot of the places she had, and started getting to know some of the musicians up, up there. And after about three years, um, there was this band plan called Roche's Limit, and they had this kind of playing this, I don't know, it was kind of punky, but it was more just kind of rock, you know. And I was like, boy, it should be fun. I wonder if they would ever like back me up sometime and do something you know i was like if i was going to do anything i'd like to do something like that and and then i ran into the bass player later and he said they had a new thing going new drummer and just him and the guitar player and a new drummer working something up and so i joined up with them and we had a good that was a good run it was kind of it was very fun because i when i left here it was at that point in everyone's life where your friends don't come out because they're busy starting families and careers and then, like, so four or five years later, when I started playing up there, everybody was settled enough that they were coming back out again. Okay. And I didn't know them all, but, I mean, it was like, well, it was 
it was playing to, you know, you got past that lull, so it was cool again, you know. Kids rolling up to stay home, and, you know. So that was cool. That was a band called Cobra Kai, and we we did a little Oklahoma tour, played Oklahoma City and here with Billy Joe Winghead, and, uh, and then we went out and played some stuff in California and all over Colorado. And, uh, you know, the older you get, the shorter the band seemed to last. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> did a whole bunch, you know. You know, the clubs in Denver were starting to call us instead of call, you know, us call them, and that was what we really wanted to do. Really try to make a big splash in the Denver scene, and then the guitar player moved, and so I joined up with these other dudes called. Uh, well, there was this band up there called the Nobodies, and they're signed to uh, Hopeless Records, and they're a couple years younger than me, but they're a punk rock band, more rock and rolly punk. They're. Uh, all their songs about porn. <laughs> but I, I, they didn't have a singer. The bass player and the drummer sang. And so we decided they, you know, he, the, I was recruited to front a, a band we called Hussy. So it was me fronting the Nobodies called Hussy. Okay. So we did that for a couple of years and played all over the place because, you know, they could, they had connections. I really thought that might go somewhere farther than it did. But it was, you know, right in the middle of it. I opened my bar and the bass player owned a bar. So we were, bandmates that were friendly competitors <laughs> yeah constantly trying to one-up each other who's got the coolest show coming in and stuff so yeah now they've gone back to just doing the nobodies because you know people will pay them to do the nobodies that's an established name so right. Right. well what do you think is like uh the difference between uh colorado and tulsa and the music scenes and stuff what do you notice you know i've been gone from here for so long it's you know, downtown, it seems like there's some cool things going on downtown. Uh, it does, I mean, Denver's got something happening all the time, and it's fresh and new. Colorado Springs was a little more insular, so more, maybe a little more like Tulsa. You know, it was a circle of these bands that you knew that did what they did. and But it seemed like maybe the Colorado bands were more into touring. And actually, because when I went up there, it seemed like half the people I knew had done multiple tours of Europe and stuff, you know, so I like, and the only guy here that I knew that really did that kind of thing was Chad Malone of, you know, every band you could name, but, <laughs> so that was, that was one difference, it wasn't so much stuck here, they were, seemed more willing to tour and get out, the serious ones, yeah. so, and I'm get I got to know them at a different, you know, a, in a different age range, so it's, but, you know, Denver's cool because there's a lot of great stuff going on. And Colorado Springs is only an hour away from it, so it wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Does, like, Denver have a good scene as far as local music goes? Yeah, to me yeah. it seemed like it did, you know. I mean, maybe the people that lived in Denver were too cool and jaded. Right. <laughs> but when I was running my bar, you know, I always wanted to get the cool Denver bands down, you know. The Stoner Rock ones or the Doom ones or the cool punk rock and roll ones and there was always there was you know never a shortage of them there's always something going on in denver so <laughs> well um as far as back in tulsa in the early days what are your what are your favorite places that you played or was it you know places like nitro or yeah well like i said you know we kind of <clears throat> we earned our stripes at rockers because we were going to college, and then they'd say, like I said, we didn't have three sets, but we'd have two, and we they'd pair us with <clears throat> one other band, like during finals week in college or wherever. Well, you have to play Tuesday through Saturday. So one band would play first, and then the second band would play maybe the second and third set, and then just leave their stuff set up overnight. They would be the first band the next day. And you didn't play to many people during the week, but it was like, uh, barely paid practice. I think we got ten bucks a night. So uh, you know, at the end of five nights, having played ten hours, here here's fifty dollars for the week. But so that was fun because it was a lot of experience, and we got to just we did whatever we wanted. We'd go up with half baked songs. We'd work out songs in front of the crowd. We'd try out cover we'd never played before and stop in the middle of it. You could do whatever you wanted. And then I really like Nitro because. You know, people went there for original stuff, and there was all sorts of different things happening. And you mostly develop 
your persona or your what your, your your show i mean you could just you could be lousy and then you would have you back you know if you meant you know just depend if he hadn't thrown you out you know <laughs> yeah. i'd come home you know eight, 18 19 years old and something would have happened at nitro that pissed him off and, and my mom would come wait like i'd come in at two and she's like i just got a call from a k and he just was yelling at me <laughs> chewing me out for something you did and like <laughs> yeah it's k he's only got thrown out and banned a couple times but <laughs> now he tells me he loves me more than my own parents so <laughs> well there you go <laughs> yeah and there was a there was some other cool ones but most of them didn't last as long i mean Nitro would, would, went the distance. I mean, we, I mean, we had a couple of real cool shows that seemed promising at a place called the Institute of Applied Arts, the 323, and that didn't last too long. And then Tucka, which is the Tulsa Center for Contemporary Arts, we did some pretty cool things there. And then, you know, we'd go back and forth between the whatever the punk or the alt stuff to the... I mean, I'm talking about Asylum mostly right now, but so we'd kind of straddle the... We'd go find an east side metal place and play with the metal bands and then go over to, you know, go over to, you know, play with a band like Baby M, which was kind of like early Chili Peppers or Tall Tales, which was kind of like a punkier R.E.M. So, you know, we tried to, we tried to work both ends of the field. Yeah. Bunnies later, it was a lot more, you know, alt rock was bigger or whatever. So it was easy, you know, you played Icon, you got good shows or we went, you know, would play Eclipse. Occasionally do Windjammer, you know, but we weren't as metal. I mean, we were heavy, but we weren't as metal, so, but we would play there anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, weren't you saying you saw, was it Bozak at Curly's? Yeah. Huh? yeah. Saw at Curly's. Yeah, the, I remember, uh, yeah, that was, uh, saw a lot of bands at Curly's. Yeah, that was another thing that didn't last a little long. No, it didn't. I mean, it seems like there's always, yeah, you know, there's always one or two that lasts for a few years, comes around, back around. We did my going away show at Curly's. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. I think that that building turned into the new Icon for a little bit. Yeah, it was like Icon 3.0, yeah, but that something. was like three weeks. Yeah. I don't know how long was that lasted. I don't know. <laughs> I was I was gone at that point. But there was like one show there, I think, or oh, I don't oh, wow. even know. It was didn't last long at all it was a big big cavernous place yeah yeah, yeah it was too big i think yeah <laughs> i mean you could have uh you know you could have uh some good bands there and get a decent turnout it still looked like no one was in there yeah so yeah. Yeah. have you been to the new the new nitro yes yeah no. i still haven't been over there yet i don't know it's cleaned up it's nice looking i mean i, I haven't really seen a show I, my wife is friends with the owner, so okay. I've, you know, we've checked it out a couple times. I need to get down, get down there more. I just haven't gotten out that much lately. I, I, I've been getting out about once a month. I, you know, I try to. I mean, since I've been back, I've made it a point to see every band I'm friends with. So. Right. Well, from what you've seen, do you think the scene's decent right now? Well, it seems like it, but you know, I'm. You know, I'm probably 20 years removed from the people that are really making something happen, and I'm still trying to figure out that. You know, the people, the guys I know that are still playing, that's awesome. You know, but they're all middle-aged like me. They're still making good music, but it's like when you want to see the, something the new, the fresh, I, I'm still trying to figure out what that is, you know. Right. But that's just me, you know. I'm not sure I know those guys. I wonder if they're good. Or, you know, I know Severmind will put on a good show, so I'll go see Severmind. But every once in a while, I go, I, I got to go see something different. So it's cool. There's things going on. I'm sure there's a lot of things going on that I don't know who they are yet, you know. Yeah. A lot of the downtown stuff seems cool. You know, it seems like Sound Pony and Yeti get a lot of interesting shows. And, you know, Jake brings the heavy stuff into DTL. So. Yeah. Yeah, to me, it seems, at least it's the last couple years seems better even than it was just a few years ago yeah you know as far as like i said stuff coming into those places and a little more diverse stuff well yeah i mean when i was growing up downtown was a ghost town every once yeah. in a while there'd be one random little uh you know warehouse place that would last a few months that was illegal you know <laughs> you know all ages you just bring your cooler full of pbr or whatever you know now it's 
several established live venues, you know, whatever kind you want to see. So that's cool. That's encouraging. Yeah, you, you know, it used to be uh, you'd come down to the Canes for a show and there'd be nothing going on around it, like nothing. Now yeah. It's just everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. But one thing I it's kind of weird is Tulsa spends all that money in developing and bringing business to downtown just so they can throw uh, <laughs> cops in there. Yeah. Checkpoints. Yeah. Now we got a way to, now it's like, well, you built it all up, but now you want to scare us all from going there? Yeah. Yeah, checkpoints downtown. Yeah. That's like, that's kind of police state. <laughs> yeah. We could, God, we could go off on that. We could get on a tangent. So, like, yeah, it's like, God, do I want to risk it? You know, I mean, I just don't even want to get pulled over because there's no telling. I got a tag, you know, my tag expired or. You know, blinker, any little reason to pull you over. That's all they need. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, you got that, and then you got what was the whole mess with the whoever it was that was trying to put in the the lofts, I guess, right next to the sound pony, I think. Oh, yeah. Or something, and they were saying everything was going to have to be shut down noise-wise by like 11 p.m. Yeah, oh, that wouldn't fly. It was causing a big stir. I don't know. I think it's got... Yeah, I, I don't know. know the story. Last That's time the I went down there, they still had the signs for the lofts, but I did see some petition or something I, that somebody put online that, like, they're trying to tell potential buyers that there is live music. The seller probably won't tell you that. <laughs> but it's, you know, we've got several live venues here, and, you know, it's going to be noisy. So, I mean, it, anyways, I mean, the, whoever has the most money is going to win out in this situation. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, the city of Tulsa just wants it to be nice and clean and look presentable. Yeah. So, you know, it's cool that there's such a strip like that. Yeah, there never was that anything like that before. Yeah, I never, never could walk up and down a street and just go in and out of clubs before. So that's awesome. You yeah, know, that's cool. Yeah, because even down the other <coughs> way, you got Vanguard, Hunt Club, Kazas, all those have you know live bands here and there. So yeah. It seems, it seems to have got where it should be or close to it, you know. Yeah. I hope. You know, if you can uh, change the uh, culture of the average fan from DJ to live band, <laughs> right? <laughs> or just going to see a band they don't know, you know. Right. That's yeah. The problem getting people out to see local bands if they haven't heard of them or heard them on the radio or something. Yeah. Yeah, or you know the the cool little road bands, you know, that come through. You know, people want to go hear DJ. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, it's dismal. Or they want to go see their band they're friends with and then leave, and all the other bands are playing to nobody or you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, that's as a club promoter, you really got to figure out, you know, how to, the order of bands, and you got to be aware of who's who, you know. When I would book bands, we would, you know, up in Colorado, that is, that we would, we would try to cultivate followings for bands we liked that toured a lot. So, I mean, first they'd come through and they would open for the local. Yeah. You know, and then at some, you know, if they're good enough, people liked them eventually, then we would just pair them with another strong local, but they can hold the crowd because the crowd was already getting familiar with them. Right. So, you know, I, I'm so far removed. I don't know if that really happens here in Tulsa. It could if it does, that's awesome. And, you know, that's that's one difference, you know. You got to really, I don't know, especially if you get these touring bands in the middle of the week, too. Like, well, the bar is so obsessed with, ring, you know, ringing something at the bar, but then everybody goes home before the band ever starts because it's midnight or whatever. Yeah. On a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. Like, just give me two bands between 10 and midnight, and I'll probably make it. Right. If it's somebody that sounds interesting. You start pushing it after that, I don't know. Yeah. Well, do you think of everything everything you've ever done, could you name what you're most proud of? Or is that like asking what you're, <laughs> your favorite kid or something? You know? It's like, is that possible? Uh, yeah, I've got, there's different aspects of things that I'm most proud of. So, yeah, that is kind of hard. I mean, you know, Terry, since he wasn't in Bunnies, might look at it differently. But me and my partnership with Stacy lasted 12 years. 
so between Asylum and Bunnies of Doom. So I kind of look at that as one, even though they're two different bands. Um, and I liked, you know, I mean, you know, I liked what we did, the songs we wrote, and I wish, you know, sometimes we could have, I'd go back and remix some of it, but, um, and that name, you know, the name Bunnies of Doom seems to be what I'm still associated with, even though that was over 20 years ago, so, <laughs> you know, that was cool, they did, they did, the guys who played were very good, and they had a lot of interesting music going on, and it was, it was cool to be in that band as just a fan of what they were doing. I really liked Bozak, but Bozak, like I said, was kind of in that that strange little lull. So we were going around asking people ten years younger than us to open because we didn't know if anybody of our peer group would come out. You know, it's like we want to play to somebody. We need to play to. I can't even remember who the heck we played with then. The scene was very different, you know. And then the then the first you know the first couple bands I was in in, in Colorado, you know, that was cool. So I've been lately. Over the last year or so, I've been kind of going through my past recorded work and trying to figure out some way to make an anthology, you know. So I may, my dream, my bucket list is still to do a vinyl collection. So I may do like a a best of the studio stuff of everything I've been a part of on, you know, put that on a vinyl just to, because most of the stuff I did was all such short run anyway that hardly anybody got it, you know. I think Cobra Kai and Bozak, we were around so the you know weren't that around that long after the our recordings came out that we only did runs of 100 you know here's 100 cds they're gone but we're broken up so <laughs> you know bunnies of doom did the whole you know we did several at 500 so there's a lot more of that but you know i kind of like i've been going through the you know the archives and and trying to put out what i'm most proud of all together you know what i'm saying so it's just kind of weird. I don't know how to release something anymore. It's like I, it would be cool to do a CD because you could get a lot more on it, but then nobody seems to want CDs anymore. So, right, a collectible LP yeah. with a download card might be the way to go. You know. Yeah. Have you looked into that? Is that like a? I mean, I don't really know anything about how that works. Is that pain in the ass to to press vinyl? Uh, well, yeah, I've it's talk a huge up, cost at least. Yeah. It's not cheap. Right. Um, you know who James Plumley is. Have you yeah, seen Have you seen Senior Fellows? Oh no! Well, yeah, I've heard him, but I've yeah, seen him. it's he's he's the man behind Senior Fellows. Okay, he's so yeah. I think they're playing tonight. Actually, <laughs> they're play, I think they're at Sound Pony tonight. But uh, you know, he's also in the band, and they're Stand Empires, and they both just came out with vinyl. So I hit. I've been picking his brain. He he told me about a place that'll do runs of two hundred fifty. So I'm like, well, that's manageable since there's no not a active band to go out and push it, you know? Right. And so, yeah, like I said, it's not going to be cheap. I, I, you know, when I, once I get through the holidays, I'm going to figure out the plausibility of it. But, I, you know, you got to, you got to get your music mastered differently and, and all that. But I want to take advantage of it while vinyl's still on the upswing, you know? Yeah. I guess you could also do a cassette too, because isn't that? Yeah, people are doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and I know some. Yeah, I know some people that are into all that. But <laughs> those are more like crust punks or something. You know, they still think that's cool until they, you know, put it out in the sun for ten minutes and it's all warped, right. stretched out, dropouts. But people take care of vinyl more. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's a thing. You know, people that like vinyl, it's an artifact. You know, right? That's what I like about it because you know, even CDs. You know, when they came out, they seemed so revolutionary, but then just people tend to treat them like crap. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would I would hate when I'd go over to people's houses and they just had the stacks of their CDs. Oh yeah, like, you savages! What are you doing? Yeah, you know, th- there's a case for this. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I like now that more the CD cases look, you know, a lot more of them are coming out like the little mini LPs, the paper. You should have done that from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good idea. Because all that plastic just breaks <laughs> off everywhere and all that. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, when we first started talking about doing this a while back that you might have something new you're working on to talk about. Is that... Yeah, you know, I have been snake bit, dude, since I come back here. Everybody's doing something, and, you know, I don't blame anybody. I'm not putting the blame on anybody here, but it's just, 
you know, everybody's got lives and they got time for one thing, one band or what, you know, and that's cool. So every, you know, it's like, it, I haven't been able to make anything pan out as something that's semi-regular. That's all I really want or need, you know, something to get my rocks off, but it'd be cool. But I, the thing I thought would happen, you know, when I talked to you a few weeks ago or whatever, it's like, it was the classic, got it all set up and then some, it gets canceled. And once some, once something gets canceled like that, then it's just like, I start thinking, looking other direction. I, you know, in the old days, like, okay, when's the next time? And now it's like, I don't like where that's going. <laughs> Maybe I'll go over here. So, you know, we'll see. I'm not holding my breath, you know. You know, maybe that's why I'm putting together the anthology because maybe I don't know what's next. <laughs> There's lots of people here that are wonderful musicians and I'd love to collaborate with, so we'll see what happens. But, it, yeah, everything so far hasn't really, outside of my guest appearances, my listing of guest appearances, that's been about it. Right. Well, I know you guys did like an asylum reunion a few years ago, right? Yeah. Is that something you ever talk about doing a one-off again of? Or yeah, just... you know, I've I've talked with the guys. Actually, when the new Nitro opened up, Kay called me trying to get Asylum to play there. And it all kind of depends on whenever Stacy can find the time. You know, he just moved and, you know, he's been busy with Severmind and he does the occasional Groove Pilots gig. So the um, not the original, but the long-term drummer that most people associate with Asylum recently moved back from Austin. So we're all here, um, but you know maybe something will happen after the turn of the year. So I wouldn't. I mean, we've also talked about you know the, the the doc thing. I've been involved with the documentary thing is putting together a show where we try to get as many of the bands that are featured in it to reunite as possible. And asylums, cool. asylums in there. So, you know, if we even if we could get 30, 40 minutes, you know, that would be cool. But you know, that remains to be seen. I've talked to a lot of ex-band people about doing reunions, and everybody's got the new thing. And I, I I'm totally down with the new thing. I got what you, you got to be passionate about what you got going on. But so we'll see. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the doc. I wanted to ask you, like, you could just talk about. Talk about it. Yeah. Oh, I love Just it. like what's going, you know, what it entails, all that. Uh, about two years before I moved back, I, th I thought I was going to move back two years earlier, and I did, basically. And uh, my friend and my partner in this project, Brian Crane, he works for, he's a producer-director at RSU, the television station at Roger State. So when he and I were chatting and I was thinking, well, you know, if I'm coming back to Tulsa, you know, I need to do something creative. I need to be a part of something. If it's not a band, you know, something. And uh, started talking to him and I guess he'd had similar ideas about doing doing a punk rock documentary. And I was like, you know, all these old tapes are disintegrating and stuff. So now's the time. And so I made a couple trips back and we start, we did some of the interviews here and there and and then we've been going a little more full bore since I've been back, but it's, he's a perfectionist and he's very good at what he does. So, uh, right now it basically is called, uh, oil capital underground and it covers, we kind of, you know, his analogy is, you know, if there's a tightrope and the tightrope is punk rock, uh, we occasionally step off to the side one way, one side or the other a little bit, but that's the point A to B line. And it's from the late seventies. It's about the mid '90s, simply because we had to stop somewhere. Right. I mean, you could go on and on because there's still punk bands today, and maybe there'll be a volume two. But so we kind of start with the original punk scene here in Tulsa from the guys that are, were ten years older than us. You know, we cover, we can talk about the Sex Pistols playing the Canes. The first punk rock venue in town was called the Blue Grotto, and then some of the other venues, of course. So we kind of have a lineage of venues up through uh, Icon in the mid '90s, and then a lot, of, you know, a lot of the bigger bands get little mini features, and then we have satellite bands off, you know, that are mentioned. So it's we interviewed over 30 people, and uh, you know, cover everyone from Pitbulls on Crack, Baby M, NOTA, Concept of Nonsense, Illegitimate Sons of Jackie O, uh, Bunnies of Doom, my version and the one before mine, and 
So that's where we're going, and we're getting close to being the very final phases. You know, like I said, Brian, he'll he'll tell me when he it, it'll come out when he's ready for it to come out. <laughs> he's like he's swinging for the fences. He doesn't want it to come out and then think of something he should have done later. <laughs> so, yeah, I got high hopes. I got high hopes. So. It's looking really good. The last time I got to check in with him, so we we managed to get you know. Uh, Keith Morris interviewed the singer from the Circle oh, Jerk, wow. so that was cool. That's awesome. So that was our, our big little celebrity thing because the the Circle Jerks had played was in OTA at a place called the Four Twenty Four in Tulsa, which was a mid eighties thing. I think it was over by eighty five, but it might have been like eighty five, eighty six. I can't recall offhand. So they, he came through with his band off. A few months ago, and Brian just got a hold of the manager and say, "Hey, we want to interview you about this." And, and um, you know, he talked about his impressions, what he could remember of Tulsa thirty years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool because he got up on stage and started talking about the venue. So, yeah, that was cool. So it's been a, it's been kind of both enriching and fulfilling as well as frustrating. You know, <laughs> and you realize, you know, some of these weird rivalries last forever you know some people still have animosity to other people from the scene from 30 years ago 20 years ago it's it's kind of weird yeah <laughs> it's like i can't even remember what you're mad at me about i mean i was gone for a long time man okay cool all right i mean not just against me but just people in general you know bands or club owners or rival club owners or you know we got a great section on Kay. We got a great interview from Kay. So he's one of the uh, true personalities of the documentary. <laughs> we have a whole series of people's Kay stories. So good. good. Well, uh, I, yeah, I liked the idea you had a little bit ago about you know getting bands for like a show around it. Um, would that be like like around its release or whatever? Yeah, I'd like to time it that's, like that's that. A, that's a cool idea. You know when. When Brian's pretty much ready to be done and we can project out enough, I mean, that's a thing to get something like that. You know, we when he thinks it's done and we can determine a release date and then we can see what we can pull together and how long bands need it set up for or where we can do it. I mean, it'd be cool to do it at an all-ages place. Maybe even a block party like used to happen, you know? Yeah. So that would be great. I got a lot of bands in mind that I'd love to see happen and... So hopefully we could do something like that. I mean, enough of the people are still around that hopefully they'd want to do it one more time for old time's sake, you know. Yeah, yeah why not? <laughs> and that's yeah, that's a perfect reason to do it too. Yeah. What's uh just out of curiosity, who's the oldest like the first band in the punk scene in Tulsa that you got on there? Or... Um there was a band called the Automatic Fathers that they didn't really leave any documentation, maybe a little live recording. But that band spawned a lot of the early punk personalities in town that we didn't... Uh, some of them I knew, but some of them we just got to know through this documentary because we went, you know, from one guy to the next and we hear about this and we went to some other, the older guys. But um, So the Automatic Fathers turned into a band called the New Mysterians, which was very pivotal. Um, had a guy named Joe... He was called Joe Danger at the time, and then he became Joe Christ. Uh, a guy named Anthony Lookout, and a guy named Michael Automatic. And those three all went on to major, major impact in the scene. Uh, Joe Danger, he was he started booking for the Blue Grotto, bringing punk. Then he was in a. Then he started playing keyboards in a band called Los Reactors. Okay. And they were like. They were kind of like the big new wavy band. They were, you know, punk with keyboards, so it had kind of a new wave slant. Then um, that later spawned, and Roger Scott, he was in that, and he later went on and did Cenotaph. So he did. He was doing thrash metal. We Asylum played a lot with Cenotaph back in the day. Um, and then Nota, which was the the first hardcore band here, and kind of they were the. I would think. If you went back, like as a metal guy, and went back and listened to the early stuff, the first band you would probably think of as a punk band would be NOTA. A lot of the other ones you might think that's new wavy or, mm -hmm. you know, at the time it all just if it wasn't Journey or Sticks on the radio, 
if it was something different from that, it was punk. Right. So that's where we start. It's not all loud, fast, thrash. It's some of this. So we built off of that. Originally, when we started the documentary, I wanted mid-80s NOTA as a jumping po- jump-off point because they were a big influence on the mid-80s thrash scene, whether it was hardcore or speed metal. I mean, their presence loomed over everything because they went out and toured, and, you know, they played with all the legends of that at the time. You know, they played with dead kennedys and they played with agnostic front and they played with meat puppets and Husker do and all that and i had their they had an lp and so i wanted to start with that you know i i have their lp and their singles i was a big nota fan and i got to know bruce the bass player played for a while in uh cenotaph and so i got to know him and he would just tell me tour stories you know and then we realized well, there's all these other elements. We needed to back it up to the beginning. So we don't have to keep going all the way to present day, but we decided, you know, we're kind of taking a big slice out of the middle. Let's back it up to the beginning and start from there. So, yeah. Then it became a whole different thing after that, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, people are like punk rock. Is asylum punk rock? It's like, well, we were kind of a metal band with an identity crisis that played with a lot of punk bands. Yeah. And Pitbulls on Crack originally kind of started off as a, you know, as a hardcore band with metal riffs, you know, they were like a skate band, and then progressively got more metal until they were like the, the biggest metal band in town for a while, you know. So that's why, you know, so we could go back and forth, and but kind of stay down that line. Is there a, is it the plan to just digitally release it, or are you looking at Circle Cinema or anything like that? <laughs> well, you know, that's that's what I'd like to do. I'd love to have a big screening and, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Brian's station had a big event with Weird Al Yankovic a couple of years ago. Right. Um, to celebrate UHF. And so they were involved with helping set up the screening of UHF there at the t- at Circle Cinema at the time. So yeah, hopefully we, we know enough people we can set something up. Yeah. We kind of, you know, need to do a couple of little gorilla screenings with some of the people to kind of fact check things the problem with fact checking things is people remember their specific point of view instead of the general truth of what it is like okay i get the angle you're talking about but is the way it's presented is that truthful okay then cool yeah because well really so and so did such and such yeah but did this happen like this okay because <laughs> we're splitting hairs because you got you know when you get 30 people interviewed about the 20 bands that are mentioned or the 10 clubs and then all the other people that were in those bands or such, you know, it's like everybody remembers things a little differently. Yeah, they have their own truth. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, we, hopefully we'll have a big screening and get people out and I'd like to put it out on DVD, you know. There's a lot of cool shops. That's one another cool thing about Tulsa. There's a lot of cool shops around town that seem to have little Tulsa-centric stores so now it might be a place where, you know, people would want to get pick one up. So Yeah. But what uh, what music are you into now? Like newer stuff. Newer bands. Yeah. Ooh, hopefully, you have some like good editing equipment for this. Because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, can, I can cut out the silence. Yeah. <laughs> you do it all the time. Yeah. You know, locally, I you know I I like I like senior fellows. They're really you've heard them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just heard them. Uh, I don't know if the first time, like a week or so ago. Yeah, they're pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, I, I like James them. hands out earplugs at the shows, and you have you should wear them. <laughs> really? Yeah, he nice. gives them to everybody. Makes them. He's a very conscientious dude. And then Chad Malone, who's a veteran, he's the singer, and a veteran of the scene, I should say, from Brother and Fear to Bring Down the Hammer to Concept to Nonsense. So it's it's sludge, heavy sludge. It's, it's cool. But then James also does a cool band that I just went and saw called And There Stands Empires, which is like instrumental guitarless prog. Wow. So it's got like two bass players, drummer, and then one of the bass players also plays keys, and then there's another keyboard player. So I wouldn't say it's rock, but it's, it's such interesting things going on. And James as a bass player is so awesome to watch that it just they're great at building tension and changing the times and all that stuff. And you know, I like, you know, I like Severmind and Oak Lombres. 
and then diffuser still kicking it after 20 years or i go out and see them locally um it was cool to see that wino show that's definitely not new but it was yeah. cool that wino came to tulsa yeah, that so. was awesome yeah that's a good show oh uh, you know and i go a lot a lot of roots shows my wife likes a lot of you know old old you know old school kind of country honky tonk not not like toby keith or oh, anything. Yeah. <laughs> so like if jd mcpherson's playing we might go to that or you know something rockabilly you know that's cool i can't think of any you know i don't know i've been i kind of i felt kind of removed lately and we've moved so often the last couple of years that my music collections and such just ray too that it's like i'm yeah, I'm still looking for something new, but it's I look for it on a real local level, something I can interact with, because I'm not much interested in bands beyond the Canes level, unless it's just somebody I grew up and yeah. always wanted to see, but I don't want to pay $80 to watch somebody on a screen. Right, yeah. You know, I'd rather get the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as soon as I leave here, I'll probably think it's something cool I should have just said, you know what I mean? <laughs> I guess Spirit Caravan has new music coming out next year, so. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. <laughs> when the when the gu- guitar player from Cobra Kai moved, and this is years ago now, I talked him into tracking some of the uh, songs we hadn't done yet on acoustic to a click. Yeah. And then a la- later on, I built a little acoustic EP around that. But then I was like, you know, I still wish there was electric versions of these. <laughs> So I went up to Colorado Springs. I still go up there once or twice a year. So I went up there last January, and I I was looking for the Cobra Kai Master because of this project I was doing, you know, the anthology thing. And I called the studio dude up that we recorded at 10 years ago, and he he had, he had burned me the files. I didn't realize he would still have them, and that was still there to the click. And so I called the Cobra Kai drummer who was in Colorado Springs, and... He laid down, I said, put rock drums, you know, try to ignore that it's delicate, you know. And then we kind of, and then the studio dude, he's a good guitar player. So we just, we made, we tried, you know, made a couple electric songs and rocked them up. And that's, so in, in August, I went up and did the vocals and did those mixes. <coughs> so that's, yeah. So would that be considered a Cobra Kai song then? It's a Cobra Kai song and three out of four Cobra Kai dudes are on it. I had it. So, but it's, yeah, it's got a different bass player and then a a different electric guitar player. They're, the guy from Cobra Kai is playing acoustic guitar. <laughs> but, you know, I wanted to get kind of, I was thinking like the Who, you know, the whole acoustic electric dynamic. So Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, something different. It's like, well, I, I'm not doing anything, but I got this. I can go record. I'm not playing with somebody right now, but I can go fix these and finish these. So those were songs I could finish. Yeah. So I hate... There's so many loose ends, you know. Hey, over 30 years when you start thinking of like, man, I love that. I wish we'd done that song right. I wish we'd done it all. Asylum's got so many loose ends because we just didn't have the money at the time when you're yeah. 19, 20 years yeah, old. And, or the and equipment or the patience. And it wasn't know. as easy as it is now either, you know. Yeah. To record something. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was no fun. Problem. I appreciate no it. Problem. All right, thank you to Dave Cantrell for taking the time to sit down with us and talk about all that stuff, the documentary, his career, what you know, what he's looking to do in the future, everything. Very glad. I think that went well. Quite an honor to be able to talk to him. Definitely. Uh, you can't really uh, talk about uh, Tulsa music, Tulsa rock, without uh, bringing up Dave Cantrell. So uh, we're uh, really glad he uh, gave us some time and uh, some good stories. Yeah, definitely. And we wanted to play another song right now from one of the bands that we talked about in there called Bozak. Yes. Which was a late 90s, early 2000s band that I think he said played their final show. Uh, 2009, they got back together, did another show. But it wasn't a, it was a short-lived band, but, you know, they had a great sound. <clears throat> and it's kind of a, what, kind of a metal meets punk sound, I think. It's got kind of a motorhead vibe, but more punkish. You know, I, I dig it. Yeah, and um, we saw them back in the day, and and more than that, they they all they always went you know a few different directions in their live show. They do some funky stuff. Uh, just an exciting band to watch. We saw them at Curly's. Uh, we got to see them open for Coc. Right. So uh, 
you know, we're really glad to bring you this track. Yep, check this out. It's called The Devil Made Me Do It. Sometimes it happens later. This time it happened pretty fast. We just met. You don't own me. Right, once again, The Devil Made Me Do It by Bozak. Dave Cantrell, thanks once again, thanks to him. Check us out online at thethundounderground.com. You can see all our past episodes. If, if you're a fan of Dave, you're probably familiar with guys like Steve Ray, uh, Stacy Lane, obviously, whose name was mentioned a few times in this interview. He's in Severmind now. Yeah, go, go check out that episode for sure. Yeah, we've got an episode with him, and as well as Derek from Severmind. We've got an episode, like I said, with Steve Ray. Other veterans of the Tulsa music scene, like Nine, and uh, Jason, from both of them from Dead Metal Society. And That's of course, right. Previous, previous bands, and we had... Mike DiPetrillo. Right, who was actually, for a short period, in NOTA, which uh, 
That's we just right. got done talking about here. And he was in Blabbermouth, I think, right? Yes. Okay, okay. And First Strike more recently, and of course his band Driver now. That's right. And then we've got uh, Scott and Jana Squires, of course, and that was one of our early episodes. And if you're from this area, you definitely know them as well. Oh, for sure. Just uh, a lot of great Tulsa stuff. Uh, we're excited to talk about it, and uh, we hope you guys listen to all this stuff. Yes, thethunderunderground.com. All of the podcasts are linked on SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com backslash thunder-underground. Find us on Facebook, The Thunder Underground, all one word. On YouTube, the same. Instagram's the same. And Twitter is T-H-N-D-R-U-N-D-R-Ground. So until next time, we'll see you.